As we look at this this morning, we will be looking at the third division of the book of Revelation. Again, um, if you weren't with us for the first three chapters, the key verse for the book of Revelation is chapter one, verse 19. John's on the island of Patmos, the year is 96 AD. The Lord appears to him and speaks to him. And after he reveals himself to John, he's told in verse 19 to write the things that he's seen. Well, that would have been on Patmos. And so he writes down what he saw. He saw Jesus, seven stars in his right hand, and seven golden lampstands in front of him. And it gives a brief description of what he looked like. And then he's told to write the things that are. That's the second division of the book of Revelation. That's chapters two and three. And this morning, as we begin chapter four, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice there's no more red letters. Because we're now in the third division, he's told to write the things that will be after these things, and that's verse one, after these things. After what things? After the things of the church age. So, um, 422 has a lot of different names attributed to it. Jesus calls it a time that has never been or will ever be. We won't get there until we get to chapter six. Chapter four and five actually are a heavenly scene and John is taken to heaven. And um, it's also called Daniel's 70th week, the great indignation. Last week we talked about it being the time of Jacob's trouble. I like that title the best because it clarifies for us here that what we have in view is God dealing and keeping his promise. He owes Israel seven years. 69 of the 490 years have already been fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. Then we have the gap of the church age, that's two and three, and now we are getting ready to go into that period of time and um, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11. And we'll just look at a couple of verses here. Verse 25, as Paul is writing about the rapture of the church, we quote this quite often. In verse 25 of Romans 11, it says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions, that hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. It was always God's plan to reach out to the Gentiles. But to do that, he said, he allowed Israel's heart to be hardened until the fullness of the Gentiles, that's you and I, we're Gentiles, until that number comes in. And the, the implication here is, there's a beginning point, that would be Pentecost, and the ending point would be the rapture of the church. That's at the fullness of the Gentiles. That's when it comes in. Now, when that last person who is to be raptured um, is, uh, or, or is taken and uh, comes to Christ, uh, then the rapture will take place. And then in verse 36, now we have 
the continuation, what happens after the church is raptured. Well, in verse 26, so all Israel will be saved. Notice it goes from talking about the Gentiles in verse 25. I don't want you to be ignorant about the order of these things. Uh, And then I'm gonna keep, another way of saying this is I'm gonna keep my promise to Israel. I owe them seven more years. And Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, again a Jewish terminology, uh, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Uh, These are very important verses because it makes a clear distinction of a period of time that is clearly Gentile. That does have an ending point where the witness of the Holy Spirit will be taken out uh, through the church. The Holy Spirit, we made a point last week, the question is, well, does the Holy Spirit then leave the earth? And I think the scripture I quoted was Psalm 139, where the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, omnipresent. He's always been and always will be. David said, where can I go from your spirit? I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I go take the wings to the farthest parts of the world, even there your spirit will guide me. So yes, Second Thessalonians 2 talks about the restraining force being taken out. First Corinthians 3 tells us you are the temple of, of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you're restraining right now. Well, all hell's gonna break out as soon as the church, that restraining force is taken out and God has a whole new plan of punishing the inhabitants of the earth. If you're taking notes, Revelation 6.17, we enter into what's called the wrath of the Lamb, bringing judgment against the lawlessness and we're seeing all the birth pains leading up to it right now It tells us during this period of time of the Antichrist that the whole world is going to be deceived. Now, if I would have asked you last December, do you think it's possible that the whole world could possibly be deceived? The whole world? And you'd probably say, probably not. But if I asked you that question this morning, what would you have to say? Absolutely, yes. The whole world is deceived right now. And I'm not downplaying the reality of the Uh, COVID-19 pandemic, but it's not anywhere near what they're making it out to be. And it's going to be my goal, because I was traveling this week, I came across, I'm coming across quite a bit of information. And every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning, I'm just gonna take a couple minutes and give you the other perspective of what's really going on. So that hopefully uh, a lot of people who don't know the Lord and uh, don't know the scriptures, um, they're terrified. They're perplexed. I was talking with a a gal at um, a Buffalo Wings place at the Minneapolis International Airport, and I said, you know, I worked here in 1976. And then I looked at her and I said, and you were not even born yet. (laughs) And she says, you're right. She said, well, what did you do? I said, well, we worked with uh, group labor. That's what, we were in the communal houses. And uh, we worked the night shift, um, cleaning. That was our job, we were cleaners. And uh, she said, well, what do you do now? 
And I, I was glad she asked that question. <laughs> I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of the Calvary Chapel in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, for over 40 years, or around 40 years. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, you ever hear of Jan Markell? I was trying to feel her out, you know. And um, uh, unfortunately, she didn't. And, but I said, I can tell you this. Um, you guys are sort of, sort of the epicenter. And what you're going through with your city, primarily Minneapolis, Jan's not having her conference this year. And to me, it's the most important time to have a prophecy conference. But uh, there in, in Minneapolis, I mean, it's wacko. And they're afraid. If, they, if you don't know the Lord, I said, we're on the other end of the spectrum. We are... Um, Governor is Democratic, and he was the last one to mandate face masks. Uh, but then I told her that our, the local sheriff's department and police department in many counties around Wisconsin saying, we're not going to enforce it. We can't. We don't have the manpower or the ability to do it. So it's taken a lot of the tension off of people in Wisconsin but we'll be praying for you guys in Minnesota because you're really under it. And it's really sad that uh, this conference, I was telling her how important, I told her, she says, well, where are you coming from and where are you going? I said, well, I was just at um, a pastor's conference. And um, um, so when you witness to somebody, make sure you leave a good tip, (laughs) just in closing. (laughs) And... uh, I thought, well, I witnessed to her. I better be a good witness to her and leave her a halfway decent tip. I'm, not, I'm getting off course. Let's get back to, let's go back to about Revelation. So I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, that we're talking about two different things. Shoot, chapters two and three are the church age. And chapters two and three. And as we begin chapter four, um, let's read the first two verses. We just did last week just verse one. And I only wanted to do one verse because there's two events that are Bible studies within themselves. One is the rapture of the church. And that happens, I believe, um, in verse one. And the other one is the Ezekiel 38 war. And so I took two weeks, one just for the rapture and one just for Ezekiel 38. Now, if you weren't here for any of those, try to pick them up so that you can see what, we're, what happens between the gaps here. Okay, after these things, after the things of the church, I looked to behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet uh, speaking with me saying, come up here, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this, after what? after the church age. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I have entitled the morning's message, The Throne of God. Uh, This is the picture that we are given in God's word. When we read Psalm 11, verse four, it says, the Lord is in his holy temple, and the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, and his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. 
It is the throne of God the Father, and Jesus sits at his right hand. Psalm 110, verse 1 tells us, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies thy footstool. Also in Hebrews 1, verse 3, and 12, 2, the Lord Jesus is in charge of all events here. Uh, the throne of grace now becomes a throne of judgment. There's another reason why I say uh, very definitively that the church is gone from the world when this takes place. If the church were still on the earth when Christ has left the place of intercession and has come to the place of judgment. Where is he right now? Right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. But he leaves that because we find him in chapter five, for that's next week, where he's taking a scroll out of the Father's hands. And I was actually gonna try to do this, and the more I thought about it, Dwight, you know better, don't even try. (laughs) So I didn't. Um, So we will see that the church is in heaven. Matter of fact, let me just read a couple of verses um, for next week. Look at uh, chapter five, beginning with verse nine. The they there is the church. And only the church can sing this song. It says, and they sang a new song. They're in heaven now. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain, speaking of Jesus, And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nations. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. This is one of the promises that uh, he made. Um, If you look at chapter 2, verse 26, this is the promise to this church. He who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Only the church can sing this song. Where are they? They're in heaven. And they said they've been redeemed. Angels cannot be redeemed. Angels are, 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 are quoted now in 11 through 14. But they don't sing a song of redemption. They sing a song of praise. And um, they basically are just glorifying God for who he is. All right, let's look, look at uh, verse, go back to chapter four. Verse three tells us, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, and its appearance was like an emerald. A couple Wednesday nights ago, we were, driving home, and there was this beautiful rainbow. Could see all of it, but caught, caught most of it. And so we understand that uh, they're multicolored, but not this one. Um, here we see the color is like a precious stone. Uh, we really don't get a picture of God at all. He has never been photographed. Our attention is directed to the one who sits and is seated on the throne, and although he is God the Father, we should understand this to be the throne of the triune God. Nevertheless, the three persons of the Trinity are distinguished. God the Holy Spirit in verse two and five, God the Father in verse three, 
and God the Son in verses in five and chapter five, what we have before us here is a trinity upon the throne. John could distinguish no form of a person on the throne, only the brilliance and the brightness of a precious stone. And then it quotes that the stone was like jasper. Now, the jasper stone was the last stone identified in the breastplate of the high priest. You know, the high priest had stones on it, 12 of them. And the jasper was one of them, the last one. When we get to the New Jerusalem, it was the first in the foundation of the New Jerusalem. And it is also seen in the wall of Jerusalem in verse Chapter 21 will be there in just a little bit. Um, it was a many color stone with purple being predominant. Some identify it with a diamond. And um, again, it was in the breastplate. Now, the rainbow, the Greek word here is iris, which can also mean halo. I find that interesting. While the rainbow is polychrome, Here it is emerald, which is green. After the judgment of the flood, what happened? The rainbow appeared really for the first time. There was ever a rainbow, because it never rained before. So now you have the very first um, rainbow appearing, and with it came a promise where the Lord said, I will never again destroy the world with water. And he made a promise uh, and so the, the rainbow is a reminder of God's covenant not to destroy the earth again with a flood. If you're taking notes, that's Genesis 9, 13 through 15. But it appears here before the judgment of the great tribulation as a reminder that a flood will not be used in judgment. Green is the color of the earth. The suggestion here is that of the prophet Habakkuk In wrath, remember mercy, and God will do that. Let's look at verse four. Now, you have the heavenly setting, and now we're going to look at the surroundings of the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. Now, the 24 elders, I'm not going to be dogmatic here, but there's two trains of thought that people have, and um, I'll tell you my personal opinion, but a very strong argument can be made that these 24 elders stand for the total church from Pentecost to the rapture, and um, those who hold to this use um, the argument the white raiment is the righteousness of Christ, that's 2 Corinthians 5. Crowns of gold indicate that the church will rule with Christ, 1 Corinthians 6.3 tells us that. Crowns are also given as rewards, 2 Timothy 4. Um, and then at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ takes place, there will be thrones there. So what's one view? Who are the 24 elders? They're all the church. Now, the other view, which I personally hold to, is I believe it represents the 12 apostles or disciples, 
but it also represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And I want you to, the reason I have this conviction, if you turn with me to Revelation 21. And let's just look at verses 10 through 14. John is taken and he sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And what we have here is a description of what John is seeing. So in verse 10 he says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And also she had a great and high walls with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates And names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Then in verse 13, uh, it says three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city, and this wall, and the dimensions of this city are 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles and it has 12 different foundations. Uh, Verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now you can hold to either one of those, but um, I I wouldn't take it any farther than that. I think it's a representation, not only of the church, but also of Israel, but you can make a very strong argument that it is just the church that we have in view here. Let's go back to uh, chapter four and pick up in verse five through 11. So now, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, Then the 24 elders would fall down before him who sits on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Let me just interject something here that we have the Trinity involved in Genesis account. In the the beginning, God, and it's in the plural. God singular is El. In the plural, it's Elohim. 
So we read in Genesis 1, in the beginning, Elohim, and it's in a plural form, created the heavens and the earth. So in Colossians we read, um, and also in John 1, so we have Genesis 1, interesting, John 1, and Colossians 1, all one, saying the same thing, that Jesus created all things. That's in Colossians 1, verse 15. Whether they're powers, principalities, whether they're visible or invisible, all things were created by him and for him. And we read the same thing in John 1. But um, um, you created all things, and by your will they exist and they were created. Now, what we have a snapshot of here. Um, in the Old Testament, and what I'd like to do is, again, as we go through the Bible chapter and chapter, verse by verse, is always see the connection between the old and the new. Usually, the way it works out is we'll get a little bit of information. Like, in, remember when we're in Daniel 12, and it talked about the resurrection. Some to everlasting righteousness and some to everlasting torment. One verse. And not much information given. This, this week is turned around. We have a little bit of information about these four living creatures. But Ezekiel gets far more in depth. And so I'm gonna have you turn to Ezekiel chapter one. And let's take a look at it from his perspective as he gives us quite a bit of detail and he'll introduce wheels along with the four cherub. And it will actually raise more questions maybe than actually give us answers, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself there. Ezekiel chapter one, I'm gonna read the whole chapter. It came to pass in the 30th year and the fourth month and the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions, plural, of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin, Kept his captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans, that would be Babylon, by the river Chabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon me there. Then I looked to behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfed itself, and brightness was all around it, radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Now, also within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. The legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. They had the hands of a man under their wings on their four four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings. The wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. And as for the likeness of the faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion. And on the right side, each had the face of an ox. 
and on the left side each had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Their wings were stretched upwards, two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered under their bodies, and each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches. Fire was going back and forth from among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning, and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like flashes of lightning. Wow. Now I'm actually going to show you something it's only going to be a couple minutes long, but I want to finish reading because we're introduced to something that John doesn't tell us about in Revelation. And that's these four wheels that somehow coincide with these four. They're called Zoa, but I'll get to that in just a bit. So now we're introduced to the wheels. Verse 15. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth besides each living creature which is in their Four faces, and the appearance of the wheels, plural, and their works was like the color of beryl, and the four had the same likeness. The appearance of their works was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they went, they went toward any one of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. And as for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their Rims were full of eyes all around, all four of them. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went. Because the spirit, because there their spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them. This is important, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. And when those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. The likeness of the firmament, now this is in Revelation, the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread one straight, one towards the other. Each one had two which covered one side. Each one had two which covered the other side of the body. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings, and a voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. Now, above the firmament and over their heads was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like a sapphire stone, or the likeness of the throne was like the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. And also, From the appearance from its waist and upwards, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. 
and from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And so when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard one speaking. Now, as we read these verses, again, um, there are several trains of thought that come in here. Some who identify each of these living creatures um, identify them, especially from Revelation's account, with the four Gospels. And they hold to that position. How many of you have heard that before? Okay. Um, and I'll give you an example. Uh, the first one, I guess it, let's, let's bring out the obvious question that we're all thinking here. Why does John only see, the, let's just take one Zoa, and he only has one face, and they have four wings. Here, each one of them has four faces, and they have six wings. And I researched this because it was, it was bothering me. Are we talking two different things here? Or are we looking at two different perspectives? Does one want to amplify one over the other? I had all these questions. So I started Googling. And the only answer that I came up with, what I'm satisfied with, was from Don Stewart. And he basically said, I don't know. <laughs> Need more information. And so most of us have this filing cabinet here. I know the Bible is inerrant. It will not contradict itself. But it will amplify different places. And this is one where we're seeing, I believe, the identical scene. But John is choosing only to represent, uh, um, well, I'll give, you, I'll give it to you here. Uh, the first one that John saw was like a lion. The first gospel um, uh, represents Jesus uh, as a lion. The first gospel represents the Lord Jesus as a king. He was born king. He lived and died a king. He was raised a king and he is coming again as a king. Everything he does in the gospel of Matthew, he does as a king. Remember that God said that he was of the tribe of Judah was like a lion and the king the ruler would come out of that tribe and the scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh came so that's the first phase the second living creature was like a calf now that's a beast of burden this is a beast a burden and a servant animal that's domesticated in the gospel of Mark so we have that represented and Christ is here uh, represented as that servant. There is no genealogy given in this gospel. Uh, the gospel of Mark presents Christ as the servant. The third living creature had a face of a man. The third gospel, or the gospel of Luke, presents the Lord Jesus, and the title they give him is Son of Man. It is humanity that is emphasized. And then the fourth living creature is like a flying eagle. His uh, communi- it communicates the deity of Christ as seen as the Gospel of John. That's how John begins. He wants you to know that he believes, that he, and he wants you to believe that Jesus Christ 
is God in the flesh. He begins it that way, and then he ends it that way at the end of the Gospel of John. He says, these things are written. He says many other things. There's only seven miracles that are mentioned. He said, but he did so many more things that even the world itself couldn't contain the books, all the things that Jesus ever did. But these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is God. So the whole point of the Gospel of John is the deity of Jesus Christ. Can you see why somebody looking at these four creatures identify them with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And I think you're on solid ground in thinking, thinking so. Um, so, you know, how, especially when you get into the wheels, how do you try to picture this in your mind's eye? So I did a little bit more Google searching and I thought, I wonder if anybody ever tried to put a video together of this. There's a lot of really corny ones out there, not well done at all. But I found one, I think it's called Gideon, Gideon um, Videos. It's only two and a half minutes long. I usually don't do this in the middle of a Bible study, but I'm gonna do it this morning. And so for the next two and a half minutes, uh, draw your attention to the screens, and I wanna, uh, they try the best they can to give some sort of a depiction of what we just read in this, in Ezekiel. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and had their being. I would encourage you just to Google Ezekiel 1 video, and uh, there are some good ones out there that are this good of quality, but I just couldn't take 17 minutes and work it into this message this morning. But I thought this would be good to throw up 
to have some sort of an attempt. As I'm speaking this morning, this is playing out in heaven. And um, with all the things, uh, while I'm talking, please turn with me to chapter 10 of Ezekiel because we have a little bit more added here. It's basically a repetition of what we just read But the context here is a little bit different. We have for the title here, the departure of the glory of God to the threshold. And we're we're told that um, these living creatures are actually called Zoa, Z-O-A. But in verse three, we're also told that they're called cherubim. Now there's cherubim, and there's seraphim, and there's archangels. So here they're identified as, in verse three, uh, well, let's just read one through three, and I looked in there, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubim. So now we have another name for them besides Zoah. There appeared something like a sapphire stone having the appearance like a throne. And he spoke to the man clothed with linen and said, go in among the wheels under the cherub, fill your hands with the coals of fire, from among the cherubim and scattered them over the city and he went uh, and I watched. And we find here um, this vision and again I'm not sure how much of it I want to read except it's identical to what we read. Let's go to, um, it tells us in verse 15 that the cherubim were lifted up. This was the living creature I saw by the river Chidar. So these are the same ones, but in, in this case here, when we get to verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim, and the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight, where they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was above them, This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Chabar. And I knew they were cherubim, uh, plural. Cherub, singular, cherubim, plural. Each one had four faces, each one had four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings, and the likeness of their face was like the same as the face that I had seen by the river Chabar their appearance, and their persons, and they each went forward. One of the videos that I saw captured this really well because you have to be talking multidimensional here because all four of them went in, their faces went straight forward all at the same time at the speed of lightning. So how can each one of the faces go straight forward at the same time? My point is, his ways are past finding out. We know there, there's, we've come up with at least 10 dimensions that we're aware of here. How many more in heaven? And what we're going, trying to describe here I think is impossible. But it's absolutely mind-boggling that this is going on continually uh, around the throne room of God. Uh, this is a very interesting parallel also between the book of Revelation and Ezekiel. This is mind-boggling. I'm gonna put this on the screen, 
and just uh, go through it quickly because, again, we see how the Old Testament and the New Testament is going to be intertwined and interconnected. Um, The throne vision. Well, that's Revelation 4 and Ezekiel 1. The book, Revelation 5 and Ezekiel 2 and 3. The four plagues, Revelation 6, Ezekiel 5. The slain under the altar, Revelation 6, Ezekiel 6. The wrath of God, Revelation 6, Ezekiel 7. The seals of the saints' forehead, Revelation 7, Ezekiel 9. The coals from the altar, Revelation 8, Ezekiel 10. No more delay, Revelation 10, Ezekiel 12. The eating of the book, Revelation 10 and Ezekiel 2. Uh, The measuring of the temple, Revelation 11 and Ezekiel 40 through 43. Jerusalem and Sodom, Revelation 8 and Ezekiel 16. The cup of wrath, Revelation 14, Ezekiel 23. The vine of the lamb, Revelation 14, Ezekiel 15. The great harlot, Revelation 17, 18, Ezekiel 16, and 23. The lament over the city, Revelation 18, Ezekiel 27. The scavenger feast, Revelation 19, Ezekiel 38. The first resurrection, Revelation 20, Ezekiel 37. And when I get to these, I want to, the battle with Magog and Gog, because we clearly taught last week that I believe this is before the great tribulation period. I don't want to be misunderstood because of what's said here. And what I want you to do is just keep your finger uh, looking at that, but turn with me to Revelation 20. And I want to look at verses seven through nine. Revelation 20 is clearly after the great tribulation. But Dwight, you just said last week that the Magog war was before the great tribulation. So lest there be any confusion, if you're in Revelation 20, it says that Satan is now released after the thousand years has expired. Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And there you have what? Gog and Magog. Don't get them confused with the Gog. Remember I said Gog was a title? And I made the point that Putin, as of the beginning of this year, is a dictator for life in Russia. No more elections. So what does that make him? Gog. It makes him over it all. So here we have Gog and Magog as a title. So there will be, it's not to be confused with Ezekiel 38. I think I've made my point. Let's go back to Uh, No, let's just stay right here. Stay in Revelation 20, and I'll just read the last two. The New Jerusalem, um, Revelation 21, all the way from the last, it's a chronological order when you get to Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48. It's all about the millennial kingdom. Uh, The selection of the Levites, exactly the measurements for the, the temple, who gets what portion of land, And it's all laid out there, but it's all during the millennial reign. And then you have the river of life, Revelation 22 and Ezekiel 47. Well, we're already in Revelation 20. And as we talk about the throne of God and where it is um, and all the glory that goes around with it, 
we have in Revelation 20 another throne of God. And what it is, is called the great white throne judgment. So now what we have in view here is before we can enter into a new heaven and a new earth, we're at the very end of the 1,000 year millennial reign. And during this 1,000 year period of time, everybody at the beginning was saved. And they were the blessed ones who entered in. But the curse is removed, longevity of life is restored, and the earth is gonna be greatly populated again. They're gonna have children. And they're gonna be children who have a free will. Remember it says the Lord is gonna reign with a rod of iron? No, he's gonna enforce lawlessness. <laughs> Let's put it that way. He's gonna keep everything in order. But in order to be his bride forever and ever, you have to make that choice yourself. The Holy Spirit will never twist your arm to become a Christian, never. He's a perfect gentleman. He will present truth and then he will let you make up your mind. You're a whosoever. Whosoever believes in me shall never die. But you have all these people and so there has to be an alternative if you're going to now enter into eternity forever. So the alternative and the reason that Satan was not cast into the lake of fire and only kept in change for the last thousand years is so that he would be let go again and just like in the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden uh, he tempted Eve and she succumbed to his temptation and as a result uh, every single person is under the curse Um, even that cute little baby I saw the cutest little twin girls about two years old and uh, the the gal who was driving the bus picked up this couple and she says have you ever seen two more beautiful little girls they were absolutely you just wanted to kiss them or something you know that cute But the fact of the matter is they're two little stinking sinners. (laughs) And the first word that they learn is no. no. (laughs) It's in your blood. You're under the curse, everyone. And so you have to make a choice. And you say, well, when I see this thing beginning to unfold, then I'll make my choice then. Well, my friend, if you're waiting for that to happen, All hell is going to break out during this period of time and it's going to be no picnic at all. And so the reality of what I'm going to read here is for those who for whatever reason say no to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they say, "Do you you narrow-minded, bigoted Christians saying that in these times and age that there's only one way Do you know how politically incorrect that is, especially now in the times in which we're living? We still have to say it, my friends. If you really love a person, you'll speak the truth of love and say, yes, it may sound narrow-minded, but Jesus said there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. But he doesn't force you to be saved. Just no more than you forced your wife to marry you. You ask her, and she said yes of her own free will. So let's read it. These are those who said no, and they died in their sins. Verse 11, then I saw another great white throne. This is not to be confused with the one that we've been studying this morning. 
Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whom the face and the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged each according to their works. Let me just share what most people think about if you ask them, are you gonna go to heaven when you die? And they go, I think so. Why do you think so? Well, I'm not that bad. (laughs) I'm not that good, but I'm not that bad. Um, I know I'm better than Jerry, but I know I'm not as good as Carol. You know, that's just the way it is. (laughs) Sorry, you're sitting closest, bro. (laughs) We all have sinned. Good place for an amen. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. The good news is... um, He gave me his righteousness on the cross and he took my sin, the one that was sinless. These are those who if you ask them for the going, they said, well, I did this for this person and I did that and I gave some money to this organization and they go through their list of good things that they they did and on those grounds, they think they're going to heaven. It says, and the books were opened. Some will say, I want my day in court. They're gonna get it and here it is. The books were open. What are in the books? Everything they ever thought, everything they ever did is all written down, all of it. With the technology that we have today, I was, I was this is a little sidetrack here, and I'm gonna show this one, because it actually happened to me up in the office last week. The technology that we have today, and every one of you that has a cell phone, It's getting to the point now where your cell phone can not only know what and who you're talking about and what your conversation is all about, with artificial intelligence, it can actually read your thoughts and know what you're thinking. Is that mind-boggling? If man can do that, and don't you think the creator of the universe can know every thought and deed and the intent of your heart? And it's all being written down. I was up in the office last week, I came in, and uh, Mary was engaged in conversation with somebody, and her phone was just laying down there. She wasn't touching it, it was just laying down there. And I came in and I said, hey Mayor, I need, and all of a sudden her phone came up and it was my voice, and it said, hey Mayor, I need. Nobody touched anything. And she goes, this is too weird. But one of the segments that I'm gonna show you it's a technology that exists today, and I'm going to do this in segments. Um, you have no privacy, my friends. You are big brother, has been watching for a while. And as weird as this seems, I'm going to show you the technology that supports what I just said. It's that far out there. Oh, is that a rabbit trail or what? Okay. Um, and their deeds were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead. Who do we know that's in hell? The rich man. Remember who wanted out? He's still there today, but he's gonna be resurrected. Where? To this place right here. Death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to their works. Now, you may think you're getting away with something. Nobody gets away with anything. But for the believer we have the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment, 
only determine what your rewards will be. My Bible says you will never be put to shame. Well, when Dwight, what does it mean? Whether it was the things that are judged, whether they were good or bad. What does the bad mean? Bad means bad, doesn't it? No, it means motive. Why did you do what you did? Did you do it to be recognized? Did you do it to draw attention to yourself? Were you seeking the glory? Well, in that case, Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing because your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But if you do your good works before men, what does he say? Then you got your reward. So you get it now, but you're not gonna get it at the judgment seat of Christ. So let's be clear. Two judgments, the judgment seat of Christ where you'll be judged for those things that you've done as a Christian and you will never be put to shame. It is not a judgment of shame or judgment or sin. That's all been taken care of. It's uh, being predicated on why we do what we do. And only the Lord can determine that because only the Lord knows my heart and your heart. All right? Then, each one was judged according to the work, verse 14, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I have to look at, I ask this question as we begin to wind up this morning. As a result of the reality of heaven and the throne room, how should we and what should our how should this affect us now that we have this information? Go to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six, we'll read just three or four verses. Isaiah also saw what Ezekiel saw. But the reason I go here is I want you to see how it, it impacted him. We read in verse one of Isaiah six, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That wasn't mentioned either in Revelation or in Ezekiel. Above it stood seraphim. Now are these different than cherubim? And uh, so the argument is we have different creatures in Revelation 4, different Cherubim in chapter one of Ezekiel in 10, there they're called cherubim and here they're called seraphim. Are they one and the same or are we looking at something different here? Again, the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Each one had six wings. Well, now we're back to six wings. And with two covered his face, with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts that the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken and by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke and now here's the effect that it had on Isaiah. And then I said, woe is me for I am undone. Behold, I am a man of unclean lips I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, 
having his hand a live coal which he had taken from tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. What was his response to this vision? It happened to Peter, the first time that Peter realized who Jesus really was. Peter, let's go fishing. Lord, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught a thing. Uh, But if you want to, we can go. So they went out and he said, well, cast your nets in. They caught so many fish, they had the boat began to sink and they had to call for another boat to come over to help them out. Peter, being a seasoned fisherman, knows this isn't normal. And the person sitting in the boat with them had to be God, because only God could do something like that. What was Peter's response? He falls down and he says, Lord, depart from me, because I'm a sinful man. And he was aware and he was made, I like to tell people, you can't muster up humility, okay? True humility comes when you're aware that you're in the presence of the Lord. That and only that brings about humility. That's what happened here. Isaiah's in the presence of the Lord and he goes, oh, I'm in trouble. And um, the Lord forgave his sins, but here temporarily. Verse eight, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, well, whom shall I send? And who will go for, notice, us, plural, again the Trinity. And what did Isaiah said? Here am I, send me. One of the results of our Bible study this morning, in light of the reality of what is eternal and what isn't, the pandemic is a serious event, but we're not talking the salvation of your soul here. That's what's important and where we're gonna spend eternity. And what are we going to invest in? Here is put in perspective. That's gonna be forever and ever and ever. And so the Lord is saying, well, I sure would like to get my message out more. Who wants to go? Sometimes we, uh, well, we got, we got it in the um, a bulletin this morning. We need workers for um, um, the um, workday that's coming up. After this morning's Bible study, I expect a couple hundred people to show up. <laughs> And the idea here is the reality of all this, then Lord, here I am. If all this is real, then nothing really else makes a whole lot of sense. I'll close it this morning. How should we respond? And to do that, you need to turn to the book of Colossians, and we will close with this this morning. Colossians chapter three. It's addressed to born-again believers. How should we respond to a Bible study of the throne of God and the holiness of God? Paul writing to the Colossians in verse one says, if then you were raised with Christ, that's another way of saying, if you're a born again Christian, then seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. That tells us whatever things you're preoccupied with right now are secondary to seeking first that. And he clearly lays it out. 
And there couldn't be a better way to end this message this morning. What should our response be? Well, if you're born again, then seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Go for a walk. Meditate on the Bible study this morning and say, say la, say la, say la, say la. Is everybody with me when I say say la? Say la is the word that means meditate on these things. That's what's being said here. If you're born again, that's what's important. That's what we should be thinking about. Not that we become irresponsible. Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Good place for a day, man. We have human responsibilities. And taking care of our families and uh, so on and so forth are responsibilities that we have. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. When it says, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ. If you haven't been baptized, you should be. Well, you say, why should, should I be? I've been a believer for a long time. Does it really make that much of a difference? Yes. Why? Because Jesus said so. Good enough answer? Only because Jesus said so. Believe and be baptized. There's only two things um, that he instructed us to do as far as outward works. One is communion. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you believe the gospel, repent and be baptized. Why? Because now you're saying, I'm not ashamed to be called a Christian. Yeah, but Dwight, I've been with the Lord for 40 years now and I was never baptized. Don't you think it's a little late to be doing it now? No. Why? Because you might lead somebody to Christ and they say, now what do I do? Well, you need to get rooted and grounded, start going to church, and you need to be baptized. How can you tell them that they need to be baptized if you've never been baptized? All right, I'm not gonna harp anymore. But the the sign-up sheet is in the back. (laughs) So the idea of when you died, yeah, we died, and we—that's what baptism is symbolic of. You go down in the water, and you're you're saying the old man is dead, old things have passed away. You come up, and all things are becoming new. I like to say this is the first act of obedience a Christian should do. To be honest with you, I didn't know. the importance of it for two years being a Christian. I wasn't baptized in water or the Holy Spirit. I believed in Jesus, loved Jesus. But until somebody explained it to me, Dwight, you need to be baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. I said, really? All right. And so I, so I did. And then it says, when Christ who is our life will appear, then you will appear with him in glory. Let's finish 12 through 16. Therefore, the new man. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, 
and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. As we close this morning in prayer, we always have the worship team come out and we close singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we have to confess before you we're way too concerned with the things of this world. We understand, Lord, that we have responsibilities to take care of our family and to work and provide for them and um, educate them and all these things. Uh, But Lord, your word clearly puts the priority that if we're born again, then our first priority will be seeking those things which are above where you are sitting at the right hand of God. Lord, we thank you as we close in prayer this morning, as we read that you continually live as our great high priest to make intercession for each and every one of you. And we pause this morning, Lord, just as your word tells us here to be thankful. And we're grateful, Lord, for what you have done for us. And we thank you, Father, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.